the manager of the recycling center where I take my glass and plastic and cardboard and cans has been very patient with me because I get confused. I put number fives in where number ones are supposed to go. You know what I'm saying, the plastic. And he comes along shortly after I do this and he takes the number fives out and very gently he speaks to me and he says, he says, we do not recycle number fives at this location. There may be others, but for us, we are not able to do that. If you would place these in bulk, I put cardboard in the wrong places. I try to get by him and put things in that he doesn't know about. But he's always there, and he's very, very patient. And he says to me, these are things I wish that we could recycle, but we are not able. And I finally came around to the fact, this is a pretty nice guy. And I said to him one day recently, I said, what's your name? And he smiled. He said, I'm Ken. He said, I'm Ken to everybody. I will forever remember that. Such a pleasant soul. People were collecting around Jesus. It was inevitable, wasn't it? All of these signs and wonders, people being healed, multitudes being fed, demons being cast out, sent on their way. People were going together around Jesus. But it was more than numbers that's being referred to in this passage. It wasn't so much how many, but it was the who that was gathering that troubled the religious authorities, even his family. Just before the words that Tommy shared with us this morning, there's an indication of this. It says, then he went home and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For the people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. He casts out demons and he he called them to him and he spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, then the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has divided, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. Jesus was trying to speak logic to them that those that were gathered were not evidence that it was Satan present, but God was present in that place. Now, this is the way Jesus operated. In fact, from the very beginning, this is the way that Mark tells the story. His remembrance of it, even earlier than this, when he was calling his disciples, was that when he called Levi, he went to have dinner at Levi's house. It says in the second chapter, as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, when it says there were many who followed him, that doesn't mean that there were just a lot of people that followed him. He's talking of specifics here. There were many tax collectors and sinners who were following Jesus. And these were the ones that were gathering in close around Jesus, hanging on every word that he spoke and every sign 
that he sent their way. Mark doesn't tell the birth narrative. And so the first time that Mary shows up here is when she's knocking at the door and she is demanding some kind of response from a son or at least a situation that seems to have gotten out of hand. I don't think it made matters better for Jesus to say what he did. Who are my mother and my brothers? is not something that would have been received well in my family. And I have a feeling that Mary, standing there, perhaps, who knows, with a chocolate cake that she had spent hours baking, you know? (laughs) She was waiting and could not get in the door knowing that Jesus needed to eat. She was this southern mother. She needed to feed her son, you know? He needed to eat. And yet there wasn't place or time even for this to be done. And then he speaks these words. Where was home for Jesus? I don't know that he had a home. Some say that he did. He must have had a home. It says here in verse 19, it says, then he went home. But I'm thinking that maybe this was Peter's home. This was Capernaum. Jesus was the one, you remember, that said foxes have their holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so it's an indication to me that maybe he was living off of the graces of those that would give him places to stay. I don't know if that was the case early on in his ministry or later on. I have a feeling that this was the nature of who Jesus was and that Peter had said to him at some point, my home is your home. My home is your home. You come anytime you want to come. When you are here, this is your space. I've said that kind of thing to people before. This is your space. Make yourself at home. There Jesus was, and the gathering of these outsiders around him, it was a spectacle as far as the authorities were concerned. As far as the scribes and the Pharisees were concerned, they were put out with Jesus. In fact, they had begun to surmise that either he was possessed by a demon himself or he had just gone stark raving mad because they had not seen anything like it before. And yes, this was the way that Jesus operated, but it was a part of what was inherited in the early church. You and I seem to have selective memories because we don't so much make the church that today. Were we to be as invitational as Jesus was, the pews not only would be full, but the diversity in these pews would be startling to us. Aristides, a Greek author from the early part of the second century, specifically in the year 137, wrote these words. He said, it is the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth, for they acknowledge God. They do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not wish to have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in the awareness of their smallness. That is an incredible statement. Let me say that again. 
They live in the awareness of their smallness. Every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother. For they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know they are brothers in the spirit and in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all his needs. If possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor and comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast two or three days for him. In this way, they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians, and this is their manner of life. And so I ask you, who gathers at your table? I mean, when we sit down at the table, it really is a pretty close-knit little group, you know. It's just family. I mean, I'm talking about blood family that usually gathers at our table. And that is good. But it is not all of who Jesus is calling us to be. The loving connections that we have the opportunity to share should become the definition of this day as it was in the early beginnings of the church. Some of you will remember the group that was entitled Sister Sledge. Do any of you, you're dating yourself, I know, but do any of you remember? Sister Sledge was not a, I know you remember, Tommy. I know you do. You've spun these records. But the Sister Sledge was not a one-hit wonder band, but it was almost so. They, they were famous for particularly one song that in 1979 captured the hit list, you know, and they sang it so beautifully that it is still enjoyed today. Do y'all remember what that song was? We, we are family. family, sing it with me. I got all my sisters with me, everybody now. We are family. Come on, everybody, sing. Yeah, great song. You got it going. It is, it's, it's a, an incredible song. And the, you know, you hear it, you know, you'll hear it at wedding receptions and at all kinds of gatherings. You know, you, you get a team that is ripe for having won the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Hall of Fame in some way, you know, and they'll be playing that song, you know. The whole stadium will be dancing around this, you know. Uh, politicals have used this in rallies, you know. It's, it's just this connection song. But if you pay attention to the words of that song, it's interesting because, because it wasn't meant to be that way, you know. It has become that way because it's been adopted in by so many groups to have a larger significance. But... These sisters, literally, these sisters, Debbie and Kim and Johnny and Kathy were singing about their blood connection with each other and how much they valued that. It's interesting. You read back the lyrics and you can see. And so I'm saying to you that our idea of family 
It has been stretched in some ways, but I wonder if it does not need to stretch even further because, come on, Jesus, he was kin to everybody, kin to everybody. Is it evil? Some said so. As far as Jesus was concerned, this is the way it was supposed to be. This was the new idea of community, the new idea of family. Some people are very concerned about that. In fact, it is more than they can comprehend to think of who might be gathered at the table. They share concern in their gathering and call the question that Jesus is gathering all the while persons to himself whom you and I would never expect to be there. I was the pastor in Macon a few years back at Wesley United Methodist Church on Hartley Bridge Road and would make visits to several nursing homes, one in particular that was not too far from the church. We had a couple of members that were there. I would go and the activity room slash dining hall, it would be converted back and forth as according to the need. It served as our place of devotional. There was an old piano in the corner of the room. Occasionally someone from the church would go with me to play the piano. There was a resident that could sort of play the piano. We would sing from the Cokesbury hymnal and I would share just a very short word of devotional thought. And then I would greet and visit with some of the ones that were there in the room. After I had preached on one day there, um, an elderly lady in the, in the nursing home called out to me. She said, hey, hey, preacher. He, she said, come over here. This lady must have been 90 years old if she was a day. She, she said, hey, preacher. Hey, hey, preacher. Come to me. Come here. And so I did. I obeyed my elder. And I went over to her. And when I got there, she said, I want to introduce you to somebody. And I said, okay. And she grabbed my elbow and, and she walked me over to this young man who was in a wheelchair. Now, you've got to get the picture of what was going on here because this woman was lily white. I mean, she was this southern genteel, you know, hair all just right. And she was taking me over to a young man that was as black as black could be. He had his head hanging down. He was sitting there in his wheelchair. And he was just drooling from his lips. I don't know if it had been a brain injury or if it was some form of mental handicap that he had had from birth. But he was there, and she was taking me over to him. And when we got there, I thought he was unresponsive. At least he didn't respond to my sermon. He never did look up at me. I, I really felt like he was just sort of there, and they had parked him in place, and he didn't have any idea what was going on. Um, when we got to him, this precious lady reached over and put her hand on his shoulder 
And she looked at me and she said, he's like a son to me. And with those words, with those words, he tilted his head up and they looked in each other's eyes. And I believed it. (laughs) I believed it. Only God could make that possible. Only God could make that possible. What a beautiful representation of the kingdom that God is building around us. Jesus adopts us. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter our situation. Jesus has this uncanny ability to draw people to himself. He makes us his family. This past week at annual conference, I went out to supper just a couple of nights ago with a dear friend of mine, Christy Odom, who is in a church in Columbus. We don't get to see each other often. I've known her for a long time. Christy has cerebral palsy, severe cerebral palsy. Um, Unless you have been around her for a length of time and have learned to hear her language, you cannot understand what she is saying. God somehow makes the translation possible for us. But I sat there in the Cracker Barrel with her and we were talking. I thought to myself, she's here at annual conference. You know, I should have done something about getting her to annual conference earlier than this. Uh, A friend of mine, Stacy Harwell, was actually responsible for getting her onto our conference advocacy team and brought her so that she could be a part of annual conference. And I was so grateful for that. While Christy and I were talking, Christy said something that was interesting. She said to me, she said, she said, they need me. And I thought, this is interesting. I thought you were here maybe because you needed us. She said, they, who are you referring to, Christy? I said, she said, the conference. She said, they need me. And then it clicked and I realized what she was saying. We did. We needed to see Christy. We needed for Christy to be a part. She said to me before we left the table, she said, I want to be a delegate next year. She said, make that happen. I said, I don't know that I can do that, Christy. I said, I will work on it. But she said, make that happen. She said, they need me. And see, this is really what it gets down to. According to who we feel like is needed here. Maybe the pews would be fuller if we really felt like that these persons were needed that are now distanced from the church. My dad was with me this week. Uh, We had such a good time of being together. And in that time, um, he was so concerned about my lifting anything. It was almost as if I was like this, you know, walking around, but I'm not like that any longer. You know, I'm pretty good right now. You know, my back stuff is, is coming around, but he was concerned. I could lay my hand on my, my suitcase or anything, anything that weighed over two pounds. He would say to me, he would say, no, no. He said, let me get it. Let me get it. Finally, I started letting him get it (laughs) because it came to me 
This isn't about me. He needs to be needed. He needs to be needed. Now that, that is church. Christine Paul, this precious soul, precious, holy soul, was our teacher this week. She is a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary up in Wilmore, Kentucky. And she came and bore her heart before us. And one of the illustrations that she used, she said, we gather around tables. She said, we have this kitchen table at home where we gather our family and our friends she said, it represents for us just how open we are going to be. She said, she said, but also, she said, there's those potluck tables around which we gather. And next week, aren't we going to have fun? Uh, and y'all, somebody's going to bring chocolate cake, right? Chocolate cake. <laughs> we are going to have fun. And it will be a wonderful thing to gather around the table. It will be so much fun. But she said, and remember, she said, This is exactly what the table of Christ is all about, to which we will come in just a few moments. The gathering, the openness of the gathering to bring in people that we never, ever thought Jesus would associate with, not really associate with and hang out with. And ultimately, all of this leads to that heavenly banquet. And have you thought to yourselves just lately how diverse the gathering is around that table? in the eternal kingdom of God. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about it? Because you and I don't like to think about that. Just who's going to be sitting at the table with us? Some of us are going to be quite shocked. Who should be there? For that matter, who should be here? Everyone. Jesus is kin to everyone. I know it is madness. Absolute madness. But I invite you to this open table, this table of grace. I know. It's madness. Just madness. Madness. 